Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Joe Skipper, Managing Director of The Next Step, Mike Middleton, CEO and founder of Marty McFly, and Paolo Gierick, Managing Consultant at Smarter EQ. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Today, we're going to be unpacking or starting to unpack the need to rehumanize business. So there's currently a lot of rhetoric around this theme of really bringing the human back to work or around rehumanizing business. Let's begin with really looking at where this need comes from. You know, is this something that you guys are also picking up in your professional circles? And really what's driving this rhetoric? I think I'll kick start um, on that one, Karen. I think that's uh, very linked to the evolution of what is important to people. You know, so if you think about how people and our consciousness and what we expect from life has evolved and changed over time, from from being a very autocratic dictatorial environment to conformity and uniformity to an age of materialism and being egocentric and wanting to get ahead and succeed to what we're seeing around us at the moment, which is all about equality and diversity and equal opportunity and shared success and environmental protection and, and the like, to what we're seeing starting to emerge in our societal consciousness um, of people wanting to live an authentic life that is the truest expression of themselves and where they can really be of service to humanity and follow their purpose. So the consequence is that where people are at this desire to follow their purpose and be of service to humanity, and you've got a work world that is still very driven around achievements and goals and results, and and there just seems to be a bit of disconnect for that, which is why we need to start rehumanizing business so that the two are aligned, so that you know the needs of business are matched with the needs of people and vice versa. Karen, you asked, uh, are we? Uh, am I seeing this in my work? And I run a a national recruitment business. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm sure we're all reading the articles with the tag phrase, the great resignation, but it's, it is happening and it's connected exactly to what Mike was saying, because, you know, we've been in this kind of hamster wheel of industrial revolution style working, materialistic, egocentric, and we've been forced into a, probably a simpler life, you know, during the last 12 months living in a pandemic environment. You know, we're not going out and purchasing as much as we were. We're very much focused on our families and and that care. And as a result, that's really flowing into our work. And the conversations I'm having with people are very much, I know I've got work, good work to to deliver. I want to feel connected to the purpose of the organisation but I'm not going to give up my entire life simply for work. It is a facet of who I am, not the total of who I am. And that seems to be a big shift that we've that we've seen. And I think organisations really need to digest and understand that in a very quick and rapid way. I think that this whole notion of you saying that work is a facet of who I am and not who I am. I think that, you know, in this new realm of where of, of, of human consciousness and where people are going, they're saying that this whole thing of work-life balance is absolute nonsense. 
you know, work and life are one and the same thing. So we want to work in an environment where where work and life can be one rather than trying to balance work and life together because I want to be able to be my whole self in every aspect of my life rather than separating different aspects of my life. Absolutely. I came across this term uh, the other day, which I thought was really interesting in terms of people wanting to downsize their career. And essentially that just summed it up for me, you know, just we want to fill our lives with other things besides just work. And that's, that's a really big shift that we've, that we've come across. Paolo, are you seeing the same thing in, in some of the organizations that you're working with? Absolutely. I'm seeing these things happen. I think the trick is that a lot of businesses aren't necessarily geared up for this mindset and this mind shift. So a lot of businesses are struggling. They are mandating people to return to the office. They are mandating how people should work. And that's why people are really checking out because they don't um, see a way forward in terms of this great resignation. On the other hand, what I'm seeing in other businesses is a real willingness for people to bring their whole self to work and for their ability to really create the work that they want to do in the context that they want to do it within an organization. And I think those organizations are the ones that are going to be successful uh, sort of riding out of the pandemic. Completely agree. And uh, and it's interesting. You can see the, the chasm between those two types of organisations that you, you speak of, Paolo. And, and I think fundamentally that's connected to leaders and leadership and those leaders that are authentic and are able to bring themselves and uh, perhaps have have shifted past the you know the, that that desire to simply just be focused around performance and KPIs and and meeting shareholder returns and actually really interested in people and people development and their own probably their own growth journey. Well, well I think that's the key is their own growth journey. So it's not like some people went through the pandemic. Everybody went through. The pandemic. So everybody's had this spotlight on on themselves, their work, their lives. And so, you know, when you have a good leader who understands that and has the um, emotional capacity to understand what they want out of life and what's shifted for them, um, it really does open the space for the conversations to happen. At the end of the day, there is businesses to be run and people still need to deliver, but it's become more about how do we build trust in the relationships that we've had in a post-pandemic world, even though we've built significant currency of trust already through the pandemic when we were apart. But now when we come back together, what does that mean? And I think one of the comments around here is that, I mean, you mentioned that businesses need to deliver. Um, and you also spoke earlier just about people are, are checking out. And I think that the reality here is that if people can check back in and we can have a more engaged workforce, businesses will deliver a lot better. So this isn't actually saying we're going to move away and focus on people and planet instead of the profit delivery, but actually if we have a more engaged workforce, we will have a far better profit delivery and a far more successful business model. It's always interesting, you know, Gallup, they, they publish results every year about employee engagement. And I always find it incredibly scary, this the stats, um, where they say that 
at a global level, 80% of employees are disengaged at work and about a quarter of that are actively disengaged. Um, for sub-Saharan Africa, that figure is higher at 86% and, and Australia is sitting at about the global average at 80%. Those are, high, those are high disengagement rates. So there's a lot of quantitative data backing up you know, how disengaged employees are. And if we can re-engage them, the success that businesses could then um, allow would be huge. Um, so I think there's only upside in this whole thing. Absolutely. So, Paolo, when you're speaking and, you know, we've got these two trends that are hitting us. Uh, Joe, you mentioned, you know, the great resignation, which is is really starting to to take hold now. In fact, in America, it already has. I think four million Americans have quit their jobs alone in 2021. Um, and we're seeing that now starting trend filtering through into Australia. And Paolo, we've spoken previously around the shift towards hybrid workforce. But it's a lot more for organizations. It's not just accommodating a new workforce model. It's actually combining a whole lot of human aspects into this to get that mix right. What is that mix that they're looking for? So my sense is that it's not a a one size fits all. And and the mix is unpredictable because you have so many unknown um, inputs to be able to determine exactly what a hybrid model should look like. So my, my sense is that we're in a period of what I'm calling experimentation, big experimentation, because people are trickling back to the office, some are, some aren't, and each interaction facilitates a conversation around, okay, so what does this look like if we are to have people here, if we are to have people online, how do we do this? And it's almost like people must try and then they must reflect and say, well, this worked really well, or this didn't work really well. How do we shift and adapt to make things happen? And, you know, the the companies, again, that are open to this are the ones that are going to succeed because it's not um, a one-size-fits-all. You know, an interesting thing happening in South Africa at the moment is that because of our really low COVID numbers, a lot of people are starting to venture out and almost re-enter and explore the world. And... Some people are going with sheer abandon and other people are clinically um, stepping back and saying, I'm, I'm not interested. And, and it's about bringing those two worlds together in a way that works for everybody. And I think that's a massive, massive challenge, but one that um, can be done in a way that is messy. And I think the messiness of it is actually the good part because we get to, to play a little and figure things out. Absolutely. I think that's an important point because, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic and when we first kind of went into this, everything was about when are we going to get back to normal? And essentially, we have this new normal that we're emerging into. How keen are organizations on this experimenting phase, Mike? Are we seeing a lot of them? And Joe, from your side, are we seeing, you know, organizations embracing this experimentation or are more of them leaning towards that mandating, you know, this is the way it will be kind of part. And then, Mike, how will that really impact on, on people looking for purpose? I mean, to start that, first of all, just with regards to where organizations are at. Now, what's interesting here is that it actually, from what the literature is saying, the organization is is basically where the CEO and the leadership team are at. So in other words, if if they aren't ready to embrace a new way of working or aren't ready to embrace a new level of consciousness within their organizations, 
the chance of it successfully feeding down or, or, or successfully changing an organization is very little. So in other words, middle management or lower management in an organization are going to have very little success in trying to change an organization to a higher level of consciousness, one that really represents where emerging values, desires, aspirations are, and beliefs of, of employees. If the leadership in the organization isn't ready to change, it's very difficult to change the organization, which is why you've got some organizations that are intent on coming out of lockdown and absolutely going back to where they were. They're saying that all employees back at the office, if, we, if you're not here, we don't believe that you're doing any work. So we need to see you to believe that you're working. And you've got other organizations that are doing the exact opposite. So are making public statements that um, they are changing the way they're working completely and that, and that employees don't have to come back to the office full time, obviously dependent on their role and whether they're consumer facing or not. So it really does depend on the leadership more than anything else, it seems, as to where organizations are going to or how they're going to behave coming out of this. Yeah, and I can um, certainly bring the Australian context uh, into into the picture. Karen, your comment around, you know, where are organisations at? And, and certainly the first six months of the pandemic last year, when we looked like we were going to be, inverted commas, returning back to normal, there was just uh, this sense of let's just get back to the workplace. Australia then had its kind of second large lockdown, a significant number of months. And, you know, certainly that's when the conversation around the hybrid working started to coming coming into play but I jokingly described it it was almost there was inflexible flexibility because uh, really the requirement was okay for you to work from home Monday to Friday but we need you back in the office Tuesday Wednesday Thursday we've now you know kind of uh, another eight nine months into, into our ongoing lockdown in uh, in Australia and it's come totally 180 degrees to to the point where it's now you know what, coming back to that rehumanizing, we truly believe that having human connection, relationships in the workplace is really important, not only around collaboration, but just that team engagement, that learning. And so we're going to encourage you to come back to the workplace to have those days. But equally, we understand that working from home may well fit in with your personal life. And equally, we understand that you are delivering and you have done. And so certainly that trust factor is up and now it's much more of a two-way dialogue between the employee and the employer. How can we make this work to meet the organisational expectations but also meet how you like to work as well. Are there any examples out there currently of companies that are, are really doing it well? So those that have, you know, embraced this value shift and have connected with purpose or found that purpose point and getting their employees, you know, really um, rallied around this where people feel truly connected. Is there an example out there that we could, you know, learn from or take some lessons from? It's probably a bit early days because we are still in that transition period. But I'm certainly starting to see there's a, a large retailer here, Target, that are doing a great job on that. You know, very much encouraging certain teams to have certain days come together. It's all very encouraged. They're, they're kind of breaking bread together and having lunch together. And everybody is just totally on board with that, that approach. But other than that, it's still kind of early days for me to say, yes, th these, are, these are some organisations to seek direction from. I'm sure globally there are some other options, though. 
Yeah, I think it's it's much the same here as well. I, I think that the trend, it's, it still is early days. We have seen companies that have made public statements saying that they're not going to return to the, the old way of working and that they're going to embrace a, a working from home and, and alternative ways of working going forward. What I have noticed, though, is that smaller less hierarchical and, and more purposeful organizations, because you often find that uh, small organizations tend to embrace purpose a lot quicker than, than big organizations. They tend to be changing, and, and because they, they're more agile, they're smaller, they're less bureaucratic, less hierarchical, they tend to be embracing a new way of working far quicker than the big organizations. But you can also understand why, because the big organizations have large workforces. There's a lot more that needs to be thought through because the impact on the different levels of the organization could be could be quite big. The interesting thing that I'm finding is that organizations that are trying things and experimenting are, are the ones that seem to be um, ahead of the curve against the others. So, you know, with blanket statements like you can work from home indefinitely, depends on the culture of the organization. When you have a very relational driven culture or an in-office, we are together kind of culture, it becomes quite difficult to, to make statements around we will always be a remote organization or we'll offer whatever people want because at the end of the day people feed off each other and gain energy from each other so the the one company that i work with i saw very clearly that bringing people together was an infusion of energy into the system an energy that hasn't been felt for almost close to 20 months and something about that connection and energy um, creates a platform for things to to shift from a, a crisis mode approach. We're in a crisis, let's just manage a crisis to let's look forward. And I think that's a very different mindset to have. And, and it's simple. You know, the energy of people that people feed off um, changes the game and we can do things differently. So I almost feel like I'm a proponent of getting people together. But as Joe said, it's not necessarily in the context of you must come to the office every day. It's about we meet, we have meals together, we socialize. That's actually part of the work also. You know, we tend to focus on the task at hand and perhaps that's been the focus through the pandemic, but it's actually, you know, that's only a piece of the work. Process and how we do the work and how we are together becomes really important. You know, there's been a lot of literature that I've read recently as well that has said that, um, you know, we mustn't assume that all employees want to work remotely and work from home. A lot of employees are finding it quite tedious, living, working, breathing, entertaining, exercising, and everything under one roof all the time, and are really missing the one-on-one -on -one contact that they have at work. They're also finding that making decisions and getting things done is slower because you don't have conversations at the coffee station um, with people to to move things forward quite quickly. So it's a two-way affair, this, and it's it's not that the company wants people back at the work or that employees want to, to work from home. Uh, you know, I think in the future, it's probably going to be more of a hybrid solution where you get the balance of the two working in, in harmony. I think that's a really, really good uh, point both of you make, and and certainly, you know, some of the feedback that I'm having from, from people who have started new 
roles in the last 12 months have shared how challenging it is because that that inability to build um, those quick relationships, as you mentioned, Mike, over the coffee station and you're talking about, you're over here, somebody talking about a television show that you also saw last night and, you know, suddenly there's a connection uh, with that person or, you know, somebody says, oh, who wants who wants a, a sandwich and, and head downstairs and, and do a sandwich run? And, you you know, on the way you're just chit-chatting about life and I know that that person might be getting married in six months' time and bits and pieces. In the kind of total virtual world, we do become quite task-orientated and the conversations are very much just short, sharp, on point about the particular work activity where sometimes you need the other aspects of that whole person to put it put the the full picture in place and I certainly you know have as I say have picked up that for new starters that's been one of the hardest pieces that they've had to navigate. Absolutely. And that's an interesting question. You know, what are we seeing from that perspective? Because, you know, how are employees being onboarded? How are they encouraged to to build these relationships, both now that we are kind of still stuck in this virtual environment, but what could that look like in future as we start venturing into hybrid? How do we get people to to meet and to feel part of these organizations? So Karen, it's a very interesting question and, and one we've had to work to solve for um, for next year for, for one of the clients that I work with. And what we've done is we've had to create three scenarios for onboarding. The first scenario being a totally virtual, the second scenario being a totally in-person, and the third being something in between. And we almost need to plan and be able to activate each one at a moment's notice, given the complexities of how the pandemic is rolling and, and the unknowns that we have and that uncertainty. Um, so, so, I mean, it's, it's become a, a complexity in how you plan, but we plan in, in this client for all eventualities and, and feel really at ease and comfortable with the fact that we have that ability to do because, you know, a year to 18 months ago, we could never have, have done that. But I think more than that, what we see now is people who were onboarded virtually, we're starting to see some of the cracks show. And it's about now, how do we almost socialize them back into an in-office culture? And, and that's really where the work Start is starting, so it's almost like flipped its side on it, on it flipped on its head, and and we're having to look at like re-inducting people or re-onboarding people in a way. Um, but that said, a lot of the people I've dealt with and worked with this year um, have found that the virtual platform gives them a sense of psychological safety to be on the other side of the screen, to be able to build relationships and interact with somebody in being not that threatening. And, and access to people has been a little bit easier because they've been able to set up a quick 15-minute Teams meeting or Zoom meeting, get online, do what they need to do, get out. And it's almost been a little bit easier. Others that aren't so perhaps extroverted have perhaps struggled with that. But I feel there's almost like a balance here of ease of doing things some ways and other ways not. 
Yeah, I have to I have to agree with that, and and I can share an example in in my own team. Uh, we onboarded somebody um, during uh, the lockdown, and so it was a total remote uh, aspect. We utilised, like so many organisations, the Teams platform. Um, we arranged for our new starter to have almost a, a buddy, and I, you know, would find out later on in the week that um, they were the, the team was catching up and having, to your point, Carla. Uh, 15 minute uh, teams videos where they you know have a cup of tea uh, talk about what's going on on their on with the work on their desks ask for that feedback um, get some guidance and then shut down teams scurry away do their work and then come back together an hour later for another little catch-up and uh, and it certainly made that kind of accessibility but also product productivity rather than working in a highly extroverted loud office with lots of people talking which for some people can be pretty distracting um, it's actually been a real positive and and the feedback I'm getting from my team members is saying I'm not sure that I actually have the skills now uh, to be able to come back to the workplace and multitask the way I used to it's very interesting to see how how it has changed and essentially I think the, the examples that have been signed it is around understanding what what the purpose is that we're trying to drive through that collaboration, through that, and not artificially setting it up, but enabling it through technology. And I think you're very right, um, you know, both Paolo and, and Joe in saying we've got to tap into that. So it is about those moments of connection and we can successfully use the tools that we have to virtually connect, as well as looking at how we, you know, build those opportunities for connection uh, when we are back at the workplace as well. But the essence of that is, you know, creating those environments in which people can connect, whether it's virtual or whether it is in person. And it's that essence, Mark, and going back again to connecting with that purpose, you know, really, really stepping back and analyzing what are we actually trying to achieve here in terms of this and then looking at the ways in which we can use the tools that are available to us. There are many ways to, in which we can do this in this new world. And I think it is important that we, we experiment, like you were saying, you know, what is actually going to give us that connection that we're seeking. So we're nearing the end of our end of our time uh, together today. So just some closing statements um, as we bring this episode to an end. So firstly, Mike, what is the one piece of advice that you could give to an organization wanting to expand their purpose beyond profit? I think that, I mean, as a, as a starting point, the, the one thing that, that holds organizations back from truly pursuing a purpose is because they feel that by investing in a purpose, they're going to distract the organization. And as a result of that, it's going to have an impact on profit. And in actual fact, by pursuing a purpose where they can make a real impact on the world and make it a better place um, is far more appealing to employees. And the consequence of that is that it will drive positive employee engagement, which will deliver better business results. So they must never think that purpose comes at the expense of profits. If you are purposeful, your profit will be more successful. So I think that um, as if employees can engage or if organizations can engage on a truly purpose-driven ambition, they will be ultimately far more successful. Paolo, from your side, what is the most important consideration for organizations as they structure for this new world of work? For me, the, the most important thing would be engagement and dialogue and conversation in, in an open, spirited way. It allows people to have their voices heard in this context and for people to co-create together 
It's not a cloak and dagger hierarchical system anymore. People have shifted, people have changed, and people need to be involved together to be able to do things. And then lastly, Joe, just to end off with you, how should organizations start selling themselves to prospective employees? I think it's very much connected what, to what Paolo suggested um, to really be attractive to future talent out there in the marketplace. They need to demonstrate that they are a work home that can accommodate the individual, that, that whole individual, that they certainly encourage flexibility, that they encourage uh, the individual to, to grow. And the other piece is that, that we're certainly starting to, to see is organisations need to, and it comes back to Mike's point about purpose, organisations need to be really, really bold about their purpose and, you know, their, their cor corporate social respons responsibility. Um, the employees of the future are very, very clearly looking at beyond the profit line and actually what's the purpose and, and what does the organisation do and how does it support broader humanity. I've really enjoyed our time today and I look forward to the subsequent episodes where we'll start unpacking this and, and really start looking at ways in which and, and prime examples of organizations that are getting this right and really learn from this experience. But thank you to all of you for joining me today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, Carrie.